All right, is it good to pop this out here? All right. You guys hear me okay? Well, we are continuing our series in the Songs of Advent. Uh, so if you can turn in your Bible in the pew back in front of you to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Luke chapter 2, uh, 8 through 14. And when we opened the series, we heard uh, Michael Gordon bring a powerful word on the song of Mary first, the Ag- Ab- uh, Magnificat. And then Pastor Thurman on last week brought a song from Zechariah. And this week, what we're going to look at is the song of the angels, the heavenly host in the presence of the shepherds. They sing this powerful song. So if you're there in your device or in the Bible, why don't you follow along as I read God's word. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Uh, let's open with prayer. Lord Jesus, we read in your word earlier that uh, the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word is eternal, Lord Jesus. Your word lasts forever. We pray that you would take your word and press it upon our hearts now, that you would take my dirty crumbs of preparation and by your miraculous power, by who you are alone, that you would take those crumbs and turn it into a congregational feast, that you would nourish us now and give us what we need. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So it's Christmas time. It's Advent. And what I've realized as I've been reflecting on Advent and Christmas is that when I was a little guy, when I was a kid, Christmas was super exciting. It was great. But now, as an adult, not so much. Right? When you were a kid, when you were a little person, I I remember... um, Uh, taking the strips of paper and then stapling them together to make a chain, a nice long 25-link chain, and then I'd rip one off to count down all the ways into the day of Christmas. Or I remember that we would dim the lights and, and light the candles and sing songs, and Christmas was so exciting, all the parties, all the candy, and, of course, the presents, right? And Jesus was important, too, back then. But it was a really exciting time. But as I've gotten older, it's gone from really exciting to more difficult, more hard. Uh, Today I think about how uh, I have to buy all these presents for people and I don't know what to get, let alone uh, working it out in the budget. We have all these extra parties to go to, all this extra decorating, and sometimes it can be hard to be with family, right? And so... Christmas time has gone from exciting to difficult. And I think that this is a small example of a larger trend in life. 
About four years ago, I sat in the office of Covenant Seminary Professor or Associate Dean Mark McElmurray. And uh, so I was part of this men's group where we, our goal was to know each other and be known by each other. And so the way that we would do that is we would share stories. Somebody would go and for just about two hours present their life story by using all these little pictures that would jog our memory to share some of the difficult things of life, these shaping moments in our lives. And it was my turn to go, and I went from story to story. And what I found what I was doing was I was clenching up and telling a story, getting through it, lowering my shoulder, telling another story, getting through it like I was breaking through a wall. And all the counselors in here, are, your red flags are going up, right? Like that's not a good thing. And my time came to a close, uh, and uh, guys affirmed me, people prayed for me. It was a good time in that way, but they were getting ready to go. They were filling up their thermos with coffee, getting their book bags, time to head to class. But I was stuck. I just stayed right where I was on his couch. I just sat there. Lots of emotions were, were uh, building up inside of me as I had gone through this whole story. And finally, Mark said something to me. I don't remember what he said, but it broke all the emotion, like the one last uh, drop that cracked a dam that broke all the water through. And I, I began to sob. I mean, it wasn't even a, the, the cry that was before, the holding back that was before was now full-blown crying. And finally, I, I, I murmured and mustered the energy to say, will it get better? And I think deep down of us, it, deep down, a lot of us are wondering that same question. Maybe you've experienced rejection in a relationship and you're wondering, will it get better? Or maybe you're in a marriage that feels really difficult right now and you're wondering, will it get better? Or you've experienced the pain of a miscarriage or infertility and you're wondering, will it get better? What is it for you that makes you ask that question? Will it get better? See, my disappointment with Christmas and how it went from exciting to hard and the longing that I was experiencing, asking, will it get better, were uh, expressions. There were two expressions or symptoms of really the same problem. And the problem was that I'd lost my grasp on the good news of Christmas. Uh, I'm so rebellious that the gospel is elusive. It's like lint in water where it just keeps slipping through my hands that I can't hold on to the truth of the gospel. So I'd lost that good news will cause great joy for all people that we see in this passage. And I know it's true because when I do behold the gospel, when I do capture it, when I do hang on to that good news that will cause great joy for all people, my longings turn to praise. My pain turns to healing. My contempt for others turns to patience. My fear turns to joy. My pessimism turns to hope. My God gets big and mighty and glorious, and my circumstances get tiny and manageable. And that's how I know it's true. And today, we're called to behold the good news, to hang on to it, to gaze at it, to look at it, 
See, it's, it's, behold is an archaic word, so much so that the NIV doesn't include it very much at all. But it means to have a contemplative gaze, to lose yourself in regard for. When I think about the last time that I beheld something, uh, I was in Canada with my wife. And we were um, sitting on a hill uh, at, at her grandmother's cottage. And down at the bottom of the hill is the beach, and then it goes right into the sea uh, or the ocean. Um, it's Dipper Harbor. Um, and I was sitting at the end of the day, at the end of a wonderful afternoon on top of this hill, and I could hear all the kids playing on the beach, all the relatives, the cousins, and the nieces and the nephews, everyone playing on the beach. And I could hear the seagulls, and I could feel the, uh, the salt. I could smell the salt in the breeze, and the sun was setting and glistening along the waves of the sea, the ocean. And I leaned over to Grace and said something like, I'm going to hold on to this moment forever. And even though it was years ago, as soon as I think about it, and I don't have a photographic memory, but as soon as I think about it, I'm taken right back to that beautiful place, that beautiful moment in my story, and I can remember being there. And the Christmas season is about beholding the moment of Almighty God becoming a little baby. Praise God that he wrote himself into the story of humanity by becoming a little child. And so what we're going to look at today is that when we behold this good news, our fear turns to joy. And we see glory in the ordinary. And lastly, when we behold this good news, we find hope because the promises are fulfilled. So our first point is to behold good news from fear to joy. Behold good news from fear to joy because Christmas reminds us that it will get better because God comes from heaven to earth to save sinners. When I think about the shepherds and the encounter that they had, I, I think it's a, a microcosm. It's a small picture of Christian salvation. And so this passage is calling us to consider our own salvation. Those of us who call Jesus our Lord and Savior to consider how that came about. In verse 9, the angel of the Lord appeared to them. So there's an appearance. And the shepherds respond, verse 9, uh, it says they were terrified. And then verse 10, the, the angel responds, do not be afraid. Why, verse 11, or continue in verse 10, because there's good news that will cause great joy for all people. The Bible is, is made up of how God encounters humanity. It's a, a, it's a whole summary. It's a whole a recording of God encountering people. And we see this common pattern where the glory of God appears in some capacity, whether through an angel or through a burning bush or through another person. And what happens is that people are afraid. And, and I said that this is a, a microcosm of Christian salvation. That, that means it happens to us. So we have that same uh, 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 situation where God appears to us. So I, I ask you today, how has God appeared to you? Most often it's, it's through another person. Maybe it's through a campus minister or family, through your parents. For a lot of us at Grace and Peace, it's through the arts. It's through creation. Maybe it's through the order of things like the watchmaker. 
So God has appeared to us in some capacity that has drawn us to worship today, right now, at grace and peace. Just like the shepherds. And the right response is their response. It's terror. They're afraid. Uh, John Piper says that Christmas, the birth of Jesus, is an indictment long before it's good news. And what he means is that when we look at verse 11, it says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And we know that Jesus says it's not the healthy that need the doctor, but the sick. And so the very fact that we need a Savior convicts us that we're sinners. It reminds me of, uh, towards the end of seminary, I was uh, taking preaching lectures and taking classes, and I had been with the, the same professor for most of my time uh, in terms of preaching, and he said this. He said, um, you know what, you know what, Steve, your proof that the old saying, you either got it or you don't, isn't true. Uh, yeah, it took you a second. So it was an indictment first, but it's also good news at the same time, right? Where I had to, some learning to do, and I started off pretty rough, and maybe some of you guys are like, yeah, you still got a lot of work to do, and that's okay. Yeah, I'm all right, right. So there's an indictment before it's good news. This past Thursday, we lost the great pastor and theologian R.C. Uh, Sproul. And in his book, The Holiness of God, uh, he describes God as holy by saying he's pure, he's free from stain, he's wholly perfect, immaculate in every detail. But then he says more importantly than that, the word holy means he's separate. It means to draw a line between holy and unholy, perfect and imperfect, and what happens is, in the passage with the shepherds, when they encounter the perfect, when they encounter the holy, you realize who you are in light of who you're encountering. They are holy. This is perfect. I am not holy. I am imperfect. And so we see that pattern with Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is in the presence of God, and he says, Woe is me, or cursed am I. He says, I am ruined, or I am undone. Or Luke chapter 5, uh, where Peter is a professional fisherman, and he's not doing so well. And so Jesus gives him ad some advice and says, cast your nets over there. He's like, all right, fine, I'll do it. Uh, and then Jesus performs a miracle, and they have so much fish that they can't uh, contain it. And how does Peter respond? He says, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. So he's in the presence of holiness, and he knows who he is as a sinner. But the good news of Jesus Christ is the next word from the angel. Do not be afraid. That's exactly what Jesus tells Peter in Luke 5. Do not be afraid. You don't have to stay in fear because God has made a way that you and him can exist together in harmony and unity. And that is the coming of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. God made a way in sending Jesus to transcend the chasm between holy and unholy. Why? Because he loves us. If my standing with God is most important to me and it's settled by Jesus, then I, I don't have to walk in fear. I can walk in joy. Uh, in fact, that's the pattern of what we do in worship. 
I don't know if you've ever, ever caught it, but we, I mean, we switch it up a little bit, but there are a few elements that are always there. We start with a call to worship, a holy, perfect, mighty God inviting his people to worship him. And we respond by singing and by praising him, but then we also respond knowing that we're sinners, so we confess our sins. And then we hear, do not be afraid, the words of assurance that Almighty God lets us be in his presence because of what he's done for us. And so when I uh, think about the shepherds sitting in this service, they smell a little bit, but they're here with us. They would see our service and say, yeah, that was my experience. That's my story of salvation. That's what happened to me. And that's why we retell the story over and over and over in worship. So if your fear today, including the will it get better, if you're feeling that fear today, it can turn to joy as we behold, as we grasp the good news of Jesus. And that's how the Apostle Paul and uh, Philippians can rejoice in the Lord always from a prison cell. Or James can count it all joy when we fall into various trials because we're being completed. So maybe some of us in here are saying, okay, I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. I believe that's covered. I believe that I have unity with God. But I feel so low. It's still hard. That brings us to our next point. Our second point is to behold the good news that God's glory is revealed in the ordinary. God's glory is revealed in the ordinary. The, the shocking thing of this story for a first century hearer is not that there are angels or a, a heavenly host singing worship to God. The shocking thing in this story for the, for the first century here, is that it was given to shepherds. That Almighty God was in a manger, a feeding trough. So what's shocking in this story is the humility of all. And what verse 12 says is that this will be assigned to you. This humility will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. What this means is that God sees and reveals himself to the absolute lowest. The shepherds were kind of the average Joes of the day. They were kind of pretty low on the social ladder. Some suggest that they would have been ceremonially unclean, uh, that they wouldn't be observing the Sabbath. But even in their low status, the lowest in the social order, the highest angels come and meet them. The highest and the lowest Meet because God sees the lowest and reveals himself to the lowest. And not only does he do that, he himself becomes the lowest. He identifies with the lowest. You see the contrast between the names given to God here today in the town of David, verse 11, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The Lord meaning uh, the name to, to be united with the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. So you have this almighty figure. And where is he placed? In a feeding trough, the lowest of the low, in a manger. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, the lowest, peace 
to those on whom his favor rests. We saw this in our earlier readings where uh, in Matthew 11, speaking of John the Baptist, Jesus says, no one is greater than him, yet the one who is least, the lowest in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than he. Or Isaiah 40, we looked at, every valley shall be lifted up, the low place will be brought up, every mountain will be brought low. Why? Because the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. God reveals himself in the low things, in the ordinary things. And so if your list uh, of is it going to get better, if, if the thing that you're thinking about of is it going to get better includes your low position, you feel unseen, you feel unimportant, know this, God absolutely sees you. God absolutely values you. Scripture says that he knows how many hairs are on your head. Changing diapers, taking care of an aging parent, working in a job that is below your pay grade and education level. There's no work too meaningless, no despair too dark, no pit too deep where God can't see you. The same God that saw Joseph in the well, he saw Joseph in a whale, and he sees you and I in our lowest and in his lowest moment, he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he gave up his spirit. And the lowest moment becomes the absolute highest moment when he rises from the dead. And because of his low, lowest low, he's exalted to the highest place and intercedes at the right hand of almighty God on behalf of you and me. You know, I have no idea what Mark said to me that day in his office, but I know he was there. He took the moment to, to sit with me and be with me. And in that moment, God used him to identify with me in that low, low place. God sees you. Look for him in the ordinary things, the low things. This brings us to our last point. Behold good news that God's promises are fulfilled. Christmas reminds us that it will get better because God fulfills his promises. In the passage, it's really easy to skip over the word today. But if you uh, see it in verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And today, the word today is really important for Luke. When Luke uses the word today, what he's doing is he's pinning a sign for all to see that Jesus has just fulfilled something. He's just fulfilled something that was supposed to happen. He's declaring that this has been fulfilled. And in Luke 4, you guys remember, um, Jesus is uh, sitting and he opens the scroll in the presence of a bunch of people. And, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's reading from Isaiah 61. And he goes on, he finishes the passage. He closes up the scroll, hands it to the attendant, sits down, and he says, today... That scripture has been fulfilled. See, it's checking off. It's pinning that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises. In Luke 19, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. And so the little man climbs up the tree. And he listens to Jesus. And Jesus uh, points him out and says, this day uh, I'm going to eat with you. 
And Zacchaeus comes down, and it says he comes down joyfully. He's, he's excited about that, but the other people around him scoff like, ah, oh, he's going to hang with the sinners. And what does Jesus say? Today, salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He's announcing that he's fulfilling his mission to seek and save the lost by spending the time with Zacchaeus. Luke 23, Jesus is hanging on the cross next to criminals. And one of the criminals says, you know what? We're getting what we deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he asks Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is the fulfillment. He holds the keys to paradise. He's saying, uh, I'm going to do what I was sent to do, and today you just saw it. How can I illustrate that? <laughs> Think about Muhammad Ali. How am I going to work this out? <laughs> so Muhammad Ali was great with his hands, right? Really good with his hands. But I'd argue that he was better with his mouth than he was with his hands. One of the, the astonishing things about what he did was he predicted when he was going to knock people out. And so he's fighting against uh, this boxer, Moore, and he liked to rhyme as well. A lot of you guys know he said, uh, I'm going to knock out Moore in four. And sure enough, what did he do? Knocked him out in the fourth round, right? Or he went against Henry Cooper, and he said he was going to knock him out in the fifth round. Sure enough, what did he do? Knocked him out in the fifth round. And Sonny Liston, he said he's going to knock him out in eight. But he got that one wrong. He knocked him out in seven. So when Muhammad Ali made a prediction, people listened because he made good on his word. So when you read and know of 40, over 40 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, about the one to come, that Jesus fulfills perfectly and completely, will you trust him? Will you trust him? He says that it will get better. How do I know that? Verse 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. What does peace mean? Well, the Greek peace, uh, word for peace, arene, is, is connected with the Old Testament shalom. And, of course, it means an, an end of enmity or an end of warfare. And we get that. Like Jesus, Romans 5, uh, makes peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just an end of warfare. It's not just an end of enmity. The word peace means to complete or make whole. And so if, if I was a shepherd and I was wondering if I was missing some of my sheep, I would count them. And if I had all 100 of my sheep, I would say I have peace. I'm complete. I have wholeness in my flock. Or if you're balancing your budget and looking at your checkbook and everything lines up, you say, I have peace, right? I have wholeness. It's complete. The Bible calls Jesus the Prince of Peace, not only because he ends the enmity between God and humanity, but he takes what is broken and restores it to wholeness. He promises in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, 
Do not be afraid. And he was talking about sending the Holy Spirit. See, it will get better because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, working in us and through us. Jesus promises that he will come again to bring everything into perfect peace. Everything will come into completion. Interesting that Pastor Thurman read the passage from uh, Philippians because I want to conclude with two scriptures. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus. So let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, grasp, behold, get lost in the good news that in Christ it gets better. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We give you honor and glory because you are the great Prince of Peace, that you don't leave us alone, but that you're with us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. We ask that you would impress your truth on our hearts and help us to live it out in light of who you are and what you've done. We pray these things in your name. Amen.